0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Cleveland to speak to Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers about the Cavs' uh, recent stretch with uh, Kevin Love back in the lineup and what that means for the postseason. We'll go to Philadelphia to talk about a Philadelphia team that is absolutely flying with Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers, and we'll also go to Washington to speak to Noah Getzel of Locked On Wizards about the return of John Wall and what sort of impact he can make for this team as they head towards another playoff berth. It's all coming up, the biggest stories, with the local experts on Locked On NBA.
1: You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd, your host for Locked On NBA on Monday. I am also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We're very, very close to the playoffs here, so we're going to touch on a few Eastern Conference teams and a few teams that are that are really starting to surge at the moment, plus some uh, obviously injury issues that are opening up in that Eastern Conference. So we've got lots to talk about now, so let's get straight into it. We're joined by the host of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, Chris Manning. Chris, um, the Cavs, we've heard lots of, you know, worries about them this season, and rightfully so, there's been struggles, especially defensively, but Kevin Love is back now, and they're riding on a uh, current five game win streak. They're not going to get one of the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference. That's, uh, that's pretty much done and dusted at this point, but currently sitting in the third seed. They've won their last five. Kevin Love's been back for four of those. They've won those for some, yeah, you know, some not so uh, tough opponents in there, but how's it looking with Love back in the lineup playing alongside these new guys, which we hadn't had to see, uh, apart from these last four games?
2: We're still figuring out how he looks with some of the new guys because he's just playing with Nance for the first time. He's just playing with Hood for the first time. Those He's played two games in total with those two guys. But it's a reminder of how good he was before his injury, how good he was before Isaiah Thomas came back, and really I personally think messed up Kevin Love's flow. He looks like the number two guy who, who the Cavs kind of maybe always wanted him to be. He's hitting threes, he's rebounding well, he's getting post-ups inside and scoring on those post-ups in. It's the Kevin Love that they need. They need this guy to take some of the burden off LeBron. They need him to help them survive and maybe extend leads or at least hold leads or stay competitive when LeBron sits. He's looked really good. I think his chemistry with these guys is only going to get better. I think him and Nance's passers is particularly interesting. But I think he's been really good. And I think this is, the like, just again, they miss this guy. And I think just how he's looked since he's come back is a reminder of how good he is and how valuable he is with this team.
0: One thing that has stood out, like in the four games he's been back, he's been fantastic scoring. Yeah, 18 points in the first game in only 25 minutes and 23, 20, and twenty two double double-doubles in that stretch. But one of the things that was a big draw of Kevin Love when he was playing in Minnesota was he was an excellent passer as a big man. His last season in Minnesota, he averaged four and a half assists per game. But once he went to Cleveland and with LeBron as the main ball handler and then Kyrie as the other ball handler, his assist numbers really dropped. Now, George Hill's not this ball-dominant sort of guy. Jordan Clarkson's not. So is he taking on a more secondary playmaking role now? And these, he's had four assists in three of the four games since he's been back. Are we going to see more of that Kevin Love outlet pass um, style play that we saw from him in Minnesota those seasons ago?
2: I think so, and I, th- I think for the first time you might see him as the the hub of some bench units. In the past couple of years, it has been Kyrie being that guy, and I think this year they're going to ask Love to do it. At the start of the fourth quarter in their game against the Nets, for example, it was Love... With Clarkson and Hill and Jarrett Smith and Tristan Thompson, so he's clearly the guy that you're going to run things through. Clarkson's going to hijack some things because that's what he does. But he Love is clearly the guy there. I think you're going to see him really settle in as the number two option. I think that's one of the beauties of George Hill with this group is that Hill does not need the ball to really be effective. He's a guy that is going to pick a spot, is going to make the right smart plays. And Kevin Love is going to get a get a chance to be more of the guy that he was in Minnesota. Now he may never be the full on Kevin Love that he was with the Wolves again, and I don't think the Cavs are whatever asking him to do that. But I think you could, the closest you, he might get is going to be right now. It's at least the best opportunity for that to happen.
0: Um. Speaking of you know, George Hill, he's been up and down in his time here in Cleveland. Uh, there's been some games where he plays 30 minutes, some games he plays 20 minutes. Is this something that you think is just going to vary depending on how he's going in a particular game or how the game flow goes, whether they run with more Jordan Clarkson, more George Hill, or is he going to settle into a larger role as we prepare for the playoffs?
2: You know, it's a very interesting question because I think Ty Lue and interim coach Larry Drew have both had moments where they've leaned on Clarkson when he's played well. Uh, they, they've said, okay, Clarkson's scoring and we're going to keep that guy out there and we're going to play him most of the fourth and close games. I'm of the opinion that I think he he'll should just automatically close games. He's a better defender. He's not really going to, I think, hijack any possession. There's not really a risk of him doing that. And he's going to make really smart plays. The key for him, and it's something that Drew has talked about, that LeBron has talked about, is they want him to be aggressive. And when he's aggressive and he's finding his spots and going at the rim, I think he's going to earn that spot. If you look at his game against the Nets, he played 37 minutes. Clarkson did play 28, but they they played some time together. He had 11 shots. That was third uh, third among starters. Tied for fourth overall behind Clarkson-Hood. both at 12 and then lebron and, and love he took five threes including three corner threes that he made he got to the line twice and he did a little bit of everything else so i think when he's doing and just what he does and is aggressive about it i think he earns those minutes and i i personally think he is just kind of finding his role and i, and I think he's going to be a guy that when the playoff comes and when he settles in with all of these new guys i i think he's gonna just just play a lot of minutes and i think he's gonna deserve to
0: you touched on it before about the the coaching situation with Ty Liu taking a, a leave of absence from this team and Larry Drew taking over. Now, I haven't been the greatest fan of, of Ty Liu through his, uh, through his tenure in, in Cleveland. There's been some questionable decisions, but how does this change uh, affect this team? And is there any, uh, any updates on, on when Ty is, uh, is likely to return? We've seen Steve Clifford have issues with this through it throughout this season as well and had to take a, a fairly large leave of absence as, I guess the, the rigors of an NBA season are really wearing on these coaches and they're more aware of their physical and mental health. What's the latest update on, uh, on Ty Lue's, uh I guess, return?
2: So with his return, to start with that, he is per ESPN game to game. This is The team has not said this. That Larry Drew has said something like this, but ESPN has kind of got sources that say that it's going to be a game to game thing with him of when he's going to come back. Now, he did not travel with the team to Brooklyn for their game on Sunday, but it's possible that he could meet them in Miami and coach on Tuesday against the Heat or maybe Wednesday in Charlotte. Um, we know that Larry Drew is talking to Ty Lue. He, he He said as much at his postgame as that he's talked to Ty Lue. They've talked about having the kind of sharing the process together. I think with how it's affected the team, I think LeBron respects that guy. I think they do miss him. I think he's someone that the team does respect. And it's just never ideal to have your head coach, who I, I think it had there certainly has things you can gripe about, but also I think is underrated in some ways. And it's never ideal for him to not be around when you're trying to get all these new guys playing together for the first time and everything like that. But the weird thing about this, we just don't know exactly what the issue is now when the Cavs announced the statement they said they didn't know and Lou said he didn't know and and I I think it'd be fair to look at him let's say returning on Tuesday and with a little bit of skepticism because the only indication we've seen so far and is that he's sleeping a little bit better and it doesn't account for all the other health issues that they cited and the reason he was stepping away so I think when he does come back when he when he himself answers questions about this for the first time it'll be interesting to see what he has to say and how he looks. Because if you, the, the people that, when I've covered games and, and seen him in person at practices and whatnot, he looked like a guy that was kind of worn down a little bit. And if you read what he had to say and and what the team has said about this, it, it seems like he was dealing with something serious. And we know Steve Clifford missed a pretty big chunk of time. I, I think just for his own health sake, I, I hope that Tyler does not rush back, just to rush back. He's a basketball junkie. That's what he does. But I would hope that his health uh, kind of comes first in the situation.
0: Well, it's the Eastern Conference. Look, it appeared the Cavs were a a real... I guess in, in doubt of being able to push through to the Eastern Conference Finals and into the NBA Finals, but with the injuries happening here in Boston, with the Cavs getting healthy again, with Kevin Love back, integrating these new pieces, there's a, a whole new level of life being breathed into this Cleveland team. Chris, you're going to be covering it all, of course, for Locked On Cavs. So if you want to hear more about uh, this team as they push through the final ten odd games of the season and into the playoffs, Locked On Cavs is the place to do it. Chris, thanks for coming on and uh, and chatting about Cleveland.
2: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: All right, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Sixers podcast, Keith Pompey. This uh, this Sixes team, it's uh, I guess it's more of a joy covering them this season than it has been in uh, in years past, as they have now clinched a uh, winning record, and they are they aren't they aren't officially locked into a playoff spot, but it's going to be pretty tough for them to fall out. They're currently in the fourth seed. Keith, but they are on one of the largest winning streaks currently in the NBA, with only the uh, Houston Rockets and the San Antonio Spurs uh, close to them winning their past six games. Is this Sixers team? Is it all starting to come together for them now as they head into this this playoff run? As um as 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 well as it has at any point during the season?
3: Um, it's starting to. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thing is, last night when they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves, that was a kind of like a statement game. But that was the first time in a while since March the 1st that they defeated a team with a winning record. You know, so their winning streak, you know, although they have won six games, the Sixers have the easiest schedule in the league right now. But the fact that they were able to dismantle uh, the Timberwolves the way that they did, you know, you have to say that they are playing great. great
0: their next four games are against current non-playoff teams as well. They've got the Nuggets, the Knicks, the Hawks and the Hornets, the Nuggets still you know, in that mix for the Western conference playoffs, but the Knicks, the Hawks and the Hornets aren't really uh, trying to win games. So the Sixers could potentially be on a, uh, a 10 game win streak as they, as they head into April now as well. Um You know, clinching this winning season for, for this team that obviously has you know, won so few games over the past three years. Is that, you know, how, how is the, how's the city of Philadelphia taking that? Is it, is it, relief is it? Is it hope for what they can achieve now? Look, What's the expectation now with this team as they've you know, proven, I guess, more than people would have expected?
3: The expectation is high. I think that some people are a little bit, you know, some people are saying, bring on LeBron, bring <laughs> on the Toronto Raptors, we want Boston. You know, I don't think the Sixers are quite there yet in regards to winning a series against those teams. But I, I think that you know, The people here are excited over the fact that, let's face it, two years ago this team won 10 games. You know, right now they won 42. So things are getting in place. But at the same time, I think that, you know, they're getting situated for more so down the road than this season. But it has been a pleasant surprise. The city's excited. Um, You know, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, um, Dario Sarge, you know, right now these three guys – I mean they don't have to
0: pay for a mill anywhere in the city i i guess it's there's not real much point asking asking you about ben simmons and whether you think he is the rookie of the year i'm sure that uh, we've seen plenty of twitter battles between Sixers fans and, and jazz fans but aside from the you know, debating that the merits of that you know how important has simmons been to this to this team and you know we, we saw Embiid last year and how impactful he is but adding another you know potential superstar level player simmons has been a huge driving force for this team
3: you know, in my opinion, so Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. You know, he's the guy, you know, he's the one who, you know, he makes a difference, so to speak. But I believe that the 76ers can't go far without Ben Simmons. Because, you know, every every Batman needs his Robin, so to speak. And Ben Simmons is a very good Robin. Also, when Ben Simmons is on his game and he gets his teammates involved, you know, the Sixers are hard to beat, you know. So with that being said, you know, Joel Embiid is the best player on the team. And but I argue, even though some people may disagree with me, that Ben Simmons is the most important. Because, you know, we know what Embiid is going to give us when he's on the floor. But it's up to Ben Simmons to be, you know, the, the great secondary player who can, you know, possibly... Um, lead them to victory, you know, and do some other things. And when you think of it, let's just say uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, right? You know, we knew what Scottie Pippen could do. I mean, you you, you talk about um, Steph Curry and you talk about Kevin Durant. You know, both of these guys could go out there and, and shoot threes and take advantage of mismatches. But when you see the unique skills that Ben Simmons can bring with the passing, you know, with his rebounding, with his ability to get out and go in space for someone that size, you know, I think they're a perfect combination, talking about Ben Simmons and Embiid. And so I believe that Ben Simmons is the key to the 76 success.
0: Let's, uh, let's move on to another number one overall draft pick and Markel Fultz, which has obviously been one of the more weird and confusing situations across the entire NBA. Brett Brown in the last couple of days has come out and said basically Fultz's return is is up to him and when he feels like it. Like, do you want to expand on on those comments that that Brown made and, and, are we, are, are we going to see Fultz at all? And say he doesn't play in these remaining 10 games of the season, would he be likely to return to the playoffs? Or, or would they just say, sorry, You we, we're not playing you this season because we haven't had time to integrate him uh, over these last couple of games?
3: Yeah, I think if he doesn't play in the remaining 10 games, I mean, if he doesn't at least get like five games or whatever, 40, I mean, I, I think it would be hard to bring him back, you know, just because of, you know, you, you, have to, you have to know what you have in the playoffs. The playoffs isn't exactly the time to bring a guy back and say, hey, let's see what you have. I mean, that's what you do in the preseason. And and, and right now, it's one of those things where, you know, he does have a skill set that no one else on the team does, has. Um, and it would be great for him to play as soon as possible because the 10 games or nine games that he would get it will get him a little bit conditioned for, the, for a small role, like an emergency-type role in the playoffs. But, um, you know, if, he, if that doesn't happen, I mean, I can't see him coming back. I, I I just don't. Now, in regards to it, yeah, it is his decision. You know, he has to feel comfortable. And and the thing is, it's a delicate thing because, you know, as much as the 76ers want to try to protect them and say that it was a shoulder, it was this, it was that, The guy had the use. I mean, he was dealing with something um, personally, and it it basically kind of sort of like affected his shot. And now he's trying to get his shot back, and that's the reason why the Sixers are so patient. You just don't want to throw him out there. And then if he's not up to par in the game, and if he doesn't perform well, the crowd is going to get on him, and he can lose his confidence. So that's why the Sixers are being extremely patient, they want to make sure that he has a bunch, you know, he's he's a confident guy when he gets out there and he, he wants to feel comfortable as well. So that's the hold up. But as long, the longer they wait, I don't feel as if that it's, it's going to be something that they're going to do. I think if they wait six more games, let's just say that Brett Brown is probably going to say, well, you know what? We're not going to do it because it's going to hinder our ball club.
0: Yeah, I, I can't, I can't see him coming back at this point. And yeah, I agree. Like, we've probably got a two or three game window, um, for him to return and, and actually do anything. But it is clearly a, a mental issue. And let's hope for, for Sixers fans, for Markel, for, for everybody involved in the NBA, that it all gets sorted out over this offseason. Keith, if he does actually make a return, everyone's going to be able to hear how that goes on Locked on Sixers. So, uh, make sure everyone is checking out Locked on Sixers. Keith, thanks for coming on and, and chatting about this team. And, uh, the excitement of the playoffs is just around the corner.
3: Hey, man, thanks for having me
0: on, man. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Wizards podcast, Noah Getzel, And we're going to talk about this Washington Wizards team that's been, uh, I guess, treading water would be the, the best way of putting it since uh, John Wall had that knee surgery. But, Noah, it looks like he's, uh, he's on the verge of coming back. How far away are, are we from John Wall actually returning to this lineup?
1: So it's not going to be uh, this game against the Knicks here on Sunday but probably, I don't know for sure, there's no set timetable. The coach said uh, at practice, Scott Brooks said in no time at all, so I assume that would be hopefully Tuesday against the Spurs, but I'm, I'm not too sure. He just played his first uh, five-on-five scrimmage Saturday's practice, so he, he looks like his energy level is great. Uh, you know, he's he's playing full-contact practice. He seems like he should be good to go, and it's it's just injecting new life into the Wizards who have now lost four of their last six games. Well, that,
0: look, in terms of the Eastern Conference playoffs, the, the teams are, are, all basically locked in. Like the, the Pistons or the Hornets, that they're not really jumping up, but it's all about, I guess, positioning for seeding. And the Wizards are one and a half games back on the paces at the moment. They're two games back from Philadelphia from the four seed. So I think that's, that might be a little bit tough for them to get back to, especially depending on when Wall, uh, returns. I guess the thing we need to know is, is, are these remaining 10 games if if he actually plays in in all these or so 9 or, or 8 of these games is it enough to get him back to full speed especially with three sets of back-to-backs coming up and Scott Brooks did say about a week ago that he was unlikely to play in both of those uh back-to-back games is that enough to get him up to full speed for a first round series when they're going to be uh, on the road for four of the seven games
1: yeah i mean he'll he'll be adjusting okay and uh John Wall is not like you know typical humans he's he's a he's superhuman no doubt about it and he he definitely is a type of guy who can Go from, you know, playing a couple of games, maybe let's say like five games of, of the remaining 10 for the Wizards, if he plays five of those games, even if he's playing 15, 20 minutes, I think he'll be good to go to play, you know, 30 to 35 range in that opening round of the playoffs and be working him back himself back into shape where he can go, you know, 35, 40 minutes in, in that the end of that opening round. And it, it's really looking not too good for the Wizards in terms of positioning right now because if you're an Eastern Conference team, the last team you want to play in the past decade or so is a team featuring LeBron James. And they're as you mentioned, two a game and a half back of uh the Pacers for that five spot to, you know, hopefully play either against the Pacers or the Sixers in the first round, which would be a much easier matchup than going against either the the Cavs or of course uh the, the Celtics or or Raptors who have been crushing it. So obviously they have some ground to make up but the the good news is that in the time that John Wall was out the wizards went 14 and 10 which is you know winning 15% 58% of their games and overall for the season they're 40 and 32 which is 56%. So it's basically like no drop off in the time that he was gone.
0: You heard you know, whispers from people probably not coming from Washington that you know, the the wizards were perhaps better without John Wall there was those cryptic comments coming from some of the players you know Bradley Beal Saying how you know, the ball was moving around more. How much you know, stock do you put into those sort of comments? That which I guess that really dissipated when they did go on a bit of a losing streak after Wall was out. But initially, know yeah, they were they were flying offensively, they were winning all these games. Was that a legitimate thing or was that something that was blown out of proportion?
1: Definitely blown out of proportion. I mean the Wizards did win their first five games without John Wall, but He's a five time all star. He creates easy shots for everyone. He, he's getting stops. He's uh, setting people up in transition for wide open threes. And especially when you're going against much tougher opponents in a playoff atmosphere, those half court sets is really where you need playmakers. And if you only have Brad Beal, the only guy who can connect, you know, create his own shot for the Wizards, you're going to be in trouble. So obviously, you need to have John Wall. You need to have the facilitator. And I think the ball's going to continue to move because he's a very smart basketball player. He sees that. When the, the ball is sticky and stays in his hands or Brad's hands, you know, you're not going to get a good shot attempt. versus, you know, making multiple passes like the Spurs do and the Warriors do. That's when you'll get those high percentage shots. So I really think it's blown out of proportion that anyone, if anyone thinks that the Wizards are a better team without John Wall, they clearly don't follow the Wizards and don't really know what they're talking about.
0: We could talk about Bradley Beale, who was a, a first time All-Star this season, but I don't know what more there is to say about how well he's been playing. But what I do want to focus on is the, the big man situation, that the centre rotation with March and Gortat having, you know, in in my opinion, a considerably down year, Jan Mihinmi having his injury concerns, but Recently, playing some uh, some larger roles, some bigger minutes, and of course, there's the small ball lineup that they can go to with Markeith Morris there at center. How is this center rotation going to go? Are there going to be matchups in the playoffs? Say against they they do match up against Cleveland. How does Gortat stay on the floor against Kevin Love or Larry Nance?
1: He doesn't late in games. He's going to to continue to start, but you're right. Um, Gortat has definitely had his worst year in in a long time for the Wizards, averaging just eight and a half points. He's still the leading rebounder at seven point six, but. His defensive presence, like he he hasn't evolved in the way that modern centers are in terms of their ball handling abilities, their quickness, and their ability to shoot threes. And we saw in last year's playoffs, Kelly Olenek for the Celtics in Game 7 just totally torched Gortat and Mahimney. Neither one of them were quick enough to stay out out on the three-point line with with guys who can shoot the three ball. And of course, they're decent rim protectors. Uh, speaking honestly, John Wall's the best rim protector for the Wizards, <laughs> which is saying a lot. But I think that Marquise Morris is the best option at center, um, and as a backup power forward, it would be Mike Scott coming off the bench, who's who's a great shot maker and very unselfish player too. So I think the best center for the Wizards is actually a lack of a center, and having Marquise Morris who can stretch the floor and chase some of those uh smaller, well not smaller, but more mobile big men uh around the, the three-point line. I think that's the best late-game lineup for the Wizards.
0: You talk about you know, rim protection. Gortat averaged last season 0.9 blocks per 36 minutes, and this year he's only improved marginally at 1.0 blocks per 36, which is obviously a really, really subpar number of shot blocks. And rim protection is not all about blocking shots, but you would hope as a center who's there and you know doesn't have the mobility to really get out to the perimeter, that he's at least doing something and blocking more than one shot per 36 minutes. So he's well down in that area. Mahinmi has similar... um Similar concerns. He's a couple of years younger than Gortap, but the knee injuries are, are, are an issue. But I agree with you, especially if that matchup does come to fruition against the Cavs. That yeah, using Markeith Morris there and then playing more Kelly Oubre and, and Mike Scott uh, with with the starters is probably going to be a, a better situation. But of course, we don't know if that that matchup's going to take place. But in the the focus now is is getting John Wall back, making sure he's healthy, and getting him up to full speed before Game One occurs at the uh, in the middle of April. Noah. Thank you for, for coming on. If people want to hear more about the uh, Washington Wizards, they can go and check out uh, Locked on Wizards. Noah, where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast today. And just like Locked on NBA, Locked on uh, Wizards is every Monday through Friday, um, daily news and analysis and uh, Twitter poll analysis from our fans. And you can find us at Locked on Wizards, of course, LockedOnWizards.com. Um, my personal Twitter account is Noah underscore Getzel, which is spelled G-O-E-T-Z-E-L. And uh, on, on the Locked On Wizards podcast, we often have people from Wizards Extra, which I'm part of. I've been a beat reporter for the Wizards the past four seasons. And so we do a ton of pregame, postgame video interviews uh, with players and coaches. We uh, do in-game tweets and recaps and all sorts of uh, stuff on top of that. So definitely check out Locked On Wizards and also Wizards Extra.
0: Cool. Thank you, Noah. And that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. My name is Josh Lloyd, and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Check out the other podcasts, uh, Locked On Wizards, Locked On Cavs, Locked On Sixers, and of course, the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Locked on NBA Net, on Facebook the same, and check out our new site, LockedOnSports.com, where you can uh, see the latest happenings across the entire Locked On Podcast Network, NBA, NFL, and now Major League baseball as well we are done here guys thank you so much for listening everyone see ya